This episode is brought to you by our sponsors and by listeners like you on Patreon. Bomba's vision is simple. Make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So when you buy Bombas, you are also giving to someone in need. Bombas has designed their socks, shirts, and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. The Webb family over here has used them, and we love them. They're comfy, fun-looking, and come in family packs, which is awesome. I've never seen that before. I use my Bombas socks when I go on runs, and they're extremely comfortable. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a cozy feel. And the Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and perfect waist so they hang just right. And did you know that socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters? That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. So far, Bombas customers like you have helped donate over 50 million items of essential clothing. Go to bombas.com slash purple rocket and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash purple rocket for 20% off. Bombas.com slash purple rocket. Parents, school's out, summer's here, and the kids are back at home with a lot of free time. Go wild with wonder this summer without school. Enroll in a fun, flexible learning experience with over 140,000 online classes and camps for every kid with any interest. Look, as a fellow parent, I get the pressure of finding something engaging and useful for our kids to do over the summer break. OutSchool can help keep them engaged and their minds stimulated and their imaginations firing. They offer every kind of class you can imagine, from entrepreneurship to freestyle dancing to art, even magic lessons. There's something for kids of all ages, grades, and interests. We homeschool in the web house, and we plan to get Aurora and Cohen signed up with some out-school activities to keep them engaged in a fun way and help them explore their talents and maybe discover some new ones. Out-school will have your kids loving to learn and having fun doing it. Head over to outschool.com slash purple rocket and use code purple rocket to learn all about out-school summer programs and save $15 on your child's first class. That's O-U-T-S-C-H-O-O-L dot com slash purple rocket to save $15 on your child's first class. Outschool.com slash purple rocket code purple rocket. And don't forget, parents, supporting our sponsors is a great way to support this podcast. And now, back to our show. The Purple Rocket Podcast presents Winglings Under the Willow Tree. Previously on Winglings, Will journeyed with his little sister M through the Jelly Tree Forest, searching for someone who could guide them to the Temples of Light. After being captured by a tricky gnome and sold to Hardles, he was saved by a stranger named Magborn. Barely escaping the flooding forest, they made it to the surface and boarded Magborn's ship, the Jolly Leafer. After learning of Will's perilous quest and what was at stake, Magborn agreed to train Will. And now for episode four, The Zaxlin. 
Days felt like weeks aboard the ship. Time has a funny way of slowing down when there's nothing but water all around you. I never thought of how boring it could be sailing out over the ocean. As a fairyling, I'd always imagined the sea being a place for swashbuckling pirate adventures and exciting exploration. But there was none of that on our ship, or on Magborn's ship, I should say. He called it the Jolly Leafer, but from my experience, the boat was anything but jolly. A more fitting name would have been the Boring Soulsucker. We'd already endured a few storms during our voyage, and every time the waves crashed over us, I got as sick as a blobber toad. Not Emerald. She seemed to enjoy the thundering booms and the splashing waves and the constant cold mist. Sometimes the swells rocked her right to sleep. I, on the other hand, would have to fly up off the boat every few minutes in order to settle my stomach. But even that was exhausting, because as soon as I fluttered up off the deck, the thrashing boat would continue on without me. Needless to say, it didn't take me long to realize how much I hated sailing the open sea. Our new companion Magborn wasn't making it any easier for me. He'd said he'd train me, but instead he had me zipping about the ship, scrubbing and hoisting and cleaning and doing everything a true adventurer would dread. I felt I'd become his personal sea maid. Well, I'd had enough. If I had to scrub that giant leaf sail one more time, I was going to scream and burst into a blaze of pixie. No, sirru, not today. Today I was going to go fishing. I'd finally gotten Em down for her afternoon snooze and then crept out over the ship's stern. With my dad's fishing pole in hand, I flew out and skimmed over the water. Funny thing about fishing as a fairy, unlike other unfortunate creatures, we don't have to sit on a boat or a rock bored out of our minds. No wonder they all hate the sport. Not fairies. For us, fishing is more than just a sport or leisurely pastime. It is a way of life. I glide over the water's surface, peering into the rivers and lakes, watching for any glimmer of scales. And once I see the sun's silvery reflection squirming about, I sink my heavy line in front of it and fly ahead, making my bait seem like a true living meal. As you've already learned, hunting wasn't exactly my kind of sport. But fishing was another story. I happened to be quite good at it. Dad used to take me every autumn to the Peppergold River that fed into Emerald Creek, and we'd bring back enough fish to live on for weeks. Remembering all that my dad had taught me, I flew over the ocean swells and looked for my prized catch. I wished my dad could have been there with me. He'd be proud to see I'd taken good care of my little sister. I'd imagine him patting me on the wings and saying, That's my boy, Will. Knew we could trust ya. <sighs> well, those days would have to wait. Something glimmered in the water below me. Waiting until I'd flown right ahead of it, I threw my line in and sunk it in front of the fish. Without hesitation it went for it. The fish's bite nearly yanked me into the water, but I fought it hard. I reeled and flew straight up, bringing the large wet fish springing out of the water. Before it could splash back down, I grabbed it and held it close. Ha ha! I cheered. The bugger was bigger than my baby sis. Probably the biggest catch I had ever had. Wriggling ferociously in my hugging arm, the silver and green fish started to bark. <coughs> By heavens, I caught myself a barking bass. Basking in my tremendous catch, I flew back for the ship. 
As I glided back, wrestling my prize and trying not to drop it, I noticed something moving beneath me. I looked down and saw a creature swimming below the surface. It had a long, black, slimy body with a yellow line down its back. One of its beady eyes looked up at me as it twisted its head. Golly, I thought, I must have caught my barca just in time. This fellow was probably about to make him a meal before I snagged him up. Then I noticed more. Pretty soon several long black snake-like fish were stalking me as I made my return. Guess I upset more than just one, I thought. When I reached the ship, I proudly dropped my barking catch onto the deck, making sure it landed with a loud thump for Magborn to hear. My fish's barks were starting to get on my nerves, but I let them continue to make sure Magborn noticed it. Not bad, scrub, said Magborn from the crow's nest atop the tree mast. Now do us all a favor and knock that thing out, will ya? I can only take so much. He held his white rope at his side and twirled it, looking out over the water. With a quick whip, he sent it lashing down into the waves and then yanked it back as quick as he'd thrown it in. Something huge landed with a booming thud on the deck next to my bass. Wrapped in the white rope was a big, fat blueba shark. It dwarfed my bass. The shark stopped its thrashing just long enough to bend itself and gobble up my trophy catch. I stared down at it blankly. Sorry about that, said Magborn, dropping onto the deck and knocking the shark out with a club. If it makes you feel any better, we're still going to eat your fish one way or another. Magborn could see my disappointment. I sensed it wasn't his intention to outdo me or prove anything. It was a good catch, Will. Those barking bass are tricky little buggers. I scowled at him. Big buggers, I mean, he corrected. I left my catch and went to check on M. Sure enough, she'd woken from her nap and was speaking the cutest gibberish I'd ever heard. She'd just started the fairyling babble a couple days before, and I was loving every second of it. Every silly word was said with absolute confidence, as if she knew exactly what she was trying to say. As if that wasn't cute enough, her facial expressions were silly and exaggerated when she spoke. Willem, can you say will? I prodded. I held out my words as if saying them slower would make her understand better instead of just making me look and sound like a goon sloth. She giggled and gibbered some more. We'll get there, I said, ruffling her poofy red hair. I brought her out onto the deck where Magborn was cutting open his shark and cleaning it. If there was one thing I'd noticed during our short but seemingly endless journey, it was that Magborn did everything with precision. His tools were lined up perfectly next to his shark, his beard and ponytail were perfectly braided, and he insisted on perfection for every chore I did. It was exhausting. I didn't know how anyone could live with such an unrealistic expectation of perfection. Sometimes things were so orderly that I wanted to run over and scramble things up a bit just to see what would happen. But then again, he was taking us to the Temples of Light, so I resisted. Magborn looked up. I was wondering when she'd wake up. I've got a couple more clean shirts I've been meaning for her to burp on. Ha ha, real funny, I said sarcastically. Em scrunched her nose at him and made a tooting noise with her mouth. So, is this what you call training? I asked him. 
Me scrubbing decks, cleaning sails, having to sneak off to go fishing. Can't wait for the dark to get here. I'll scrub em to death. Magborn set down his messy tools and stood, wiping his hands. You feel I've treated you unfairly? You could say that. I stuck my chin up with a false sense of confidence. It was hard looking Magborn in his intimidating red eyes. Have you ever considered the possibility that training isn't just learning how to fight? That maybe, just maybe, learning the value of hard work is equally important? Honestly, as he said it, I never considered the grunt work to be teaching me much. I'm sure your mom and dad taught you a thing or two about work. Bet you clipped your wee little willow treehouse branches, raked a few leaves, and even patched the bark. But out here, where you don't have your mummy and daddy to fall back on, everything's work. Living's work. The sooner you learn that, the better chance you have at surviving. Keeping you uncomfortable is the first step in breaking you down. I need you to realize this isn't like your fairy books back home. I know that, I said uncomfortably. Truth was, for the majority of the journey I'd been waiting for things to turn out as they did in those books. I just feel that I'm ready for something more, I said. You saw me catch that fish. It was no blueber shark, but I snagged it before a bunch of quick slippery serpents could get to it. That's got to prove something, right? Magborn's curled brows frowned. Slippery serpents? Where? I pointed starboard. Over there, ways. They followed me after my catch. I think they were jealous, I said haughtily. Magborn didn't look impressed. A rush of urgency swept over him. Was it long like this? He held his hands out far apart. I nodded. Did it have a long yellow stripe down its back? I nodded again. Magborn nervously played with the coins and beads in his beard. Oi, ink eels, he muttered. What's that? Magborn spoke up. I said ink eels. What are they? You've never heard of ink eels? Right, it's like you were born under a tree or something. I raised an eyebrow at him. He continued, They're foul water serpents sent by the dark to do its bidding. I should have known they'd be following us. No doubt there were minions of the dark stalking you into the jelly tree forest, but the flood caused by that little bundle of joy you have there washed them away. Rather than give you a chance to escape, you made it easier for the dark to get to you, for no longer is it bound by land creatures or petty insects. Now it can use its wretched ink eels to hunt you down. Why are they called ink eels? I asked. Magborn bent two of his fingers and pressed them into his arm. Their painful bite injects a poisonous black ink that not only paralyzes you, but fills you with a magic that allows the dark to watch your every move. Track you no matter where you run or where you hide. I looked down at my precious little sister and imagined such a beast trying to get her. She smiled innocently, oblivious to the danger we were in. They were coming for her, and I had to stop them. As if reading my thoughts, Magborn said, They'll stop at nothing to take her. They're slippery, conniving creatures that'll wait for the perfect moment to strike. Train me! Train me to fight! I pleaded. Magborn looked deep into my eyes, searching for the courage he knew I needed for what lie ahead but knowing he'd eventually have to train me whether he found it or not. After finding a flicker of what he was looking for, he nodded. Let's begin. 
We headed down into the lower storage room of the ship, lit only by hanging, swaying lanterns and packed with bags and boxes, all of which were stacked and lined neatly along the walls. Magborn handed me a silver blowpipe and a silver quiver holding dozens of long, sharp, arrow-like darts. Here, put this on, he instructed. I pulled the quiver tight against my back and studied the blowpipe. It was beautiful, engraved with symbols of leaves and compasses, much like the ones found around the ship. At the end of it there was a smooth groove perfectly suited for my hand. My old pipe was embarrassing in comparison, a fairyling's plaything. This was a true piece of workmanship that only a skilled weaponsmith could create. "'I've watched you use that pipe of yours,' said Magborn. "'You're not half bad with it. But hard berries won't shoot down more than a gull or two. You need something that can take down a much larger, quicker enemy.' He pointed to the pipe. "'This was given me by the late King Andalorf of the Dandelion Kingdom. It was once used as a flute that brought peace and comfort to a troubled clan.' But as darker times came, it was transformed into a weapon. It shoots these. He pointed to the sharp sticks bundled into my quiver. Lika darts. Stick your enemy with one of these and they'll be paralyzed for days. Stick them with more than one and they're deadly. The points are dipped in a powerful spider toxin, not to be tampered with. Don't worry, I'll show you how to make them. But for now you'll use the extra supply I've kept on the boat. It should prove sufficient for our needs. I looked back at the sharp, stained points of the leaker darts that stuck out to the top of the quiver. They were long and thin, like giant versions of the sewing needles Ma used to make her quilts. You load the pipe like this. Magborn cocked his hand back over his shoulder as if sliding the dart into the pipe in one easy motion. But be careful. Even a light prick from the head and you'll be numb for hours. Well, that was comforting, I thought. By the looks of it, it wouldn't be hard to accidentally poke my hand and render myself useless during a battle. Carefully mimicking his gesture, I held the front of the pipe, cocked my elbow back, and slid a dart at my shoulder into the silver tube. I felt a faint click when I pushed it down. Did you feel that? asked Magborn. I think so. Good, it's ready. Now fill your lungs full of air and bring it up to your mouth like this. With both eyes open, give it a quick blow. Flick your tongue and let your cheeks do most of the work. Let it all out like a sneeze. It'll give your shot more accuracy and power. I took a deep inhale as instructed and brought the pipe to my mouth, feeling the back end of the dart with my lips. Then, giving it all I had, I blew it out. The dart zipped across the room and stuck into a box. The thud of its impact immediately followed the sound of my blow. Not bad, said Magborn. When you get the hang of it, you'll strengthen your blows and pretty soon half those darts will sink into the target. Let's try shooting something else. Rarely will your enemy sit still like a big fat box. See if you can hit something moving. He walked over to a stockpile of food and grabbed a handful of small bags of rice. Ready? he asked. Ready, I said. Magborn tossed the bag high and far. Quickly I raised my pipe, took aim and blew... My dart thudded against the wall above the sinking bag. I missed. Before I could set the pipe down, another one was tossed into view. I trailed its movement with the pipe's end, and then leading out just in front of its arc, I shot. Thud! A dart ripped into the bag and pinned it against the far wall. Good! shouted Magborn. Another bag and another lobbed out in front of me. 
Both missed horribly and stuck into the wood post. Toss after toss came into view, and I blew and blew until my cheeks started to burn. Thud! I caught the last one at the top of the pouch, barely sticking it through a loose end of the fabric. It dangled like hung laundry, barely holding to the thin threads I managed to catch. Coo! Em made a loud noise that sounded like an excited cheer. It wasn't until I saw her red, concentrated face that I realized it was probably just gas. I'm counting it, I said, lowering my pipe. I looked over my shots. Three of the ten bags hung pinned to the wall. Others were flung about with a spray of darts every which way. It could have been worse, I guess. I'll count it, said Magborn. Looks like you'd only get eaten by seven out of the ten monsters. And all those stray darts stuck your friends and fighting comrades. They lay paralyzed before you. I rolled my eyes. Magborn lifted a finger. Precision and swiftness is key with the blowpipe. If you don't spend the time to master it, you're better off leaving it be. I looked over my stray darts in the posts, walls, and boxes, and imagined them being my friends in a battle. Maybe Timothy Toad, or worse, my baby sister. Magborn was right. It would take a lot of practice to perfect, but I believed I had it in me. All practice, I assured him. That you will. What if they come in close? What's that? My enemies. What if they get too close to shoot with my blowpipe? I can't very well bonk them over the head with this thing. It'll barely bruise them. Magborn twiddled the coins in his braided beard and then smiled. Well, we can't have that, can we? Come along, I've got just the thing. After I laid M down for another nap, Magborn led me into his chambers, which up until that point had been strictly forbidden. As I'd guessed, the room was immaculate. All of the furniture and decorations were perfectly positioned throughout the space. Leathered wingback chairs huddled around a circular table made of thick twisted roots. Wood chandeliers dusted and free of cobwebs hung with lit candles. The entire wall to my left was consumed by a living map, a wonder I'd never seen until that day. The water marking the oceans and lakes moved like real water, without splashing off the wall onto the floor. The mountain ranges jutted out towards us, and the snow on their rocky peaks was cold and real. Flames in the villages looked authentic, flickering and giving off heat. Grass in the hilly, praising prairies swayed in a breeze I could almost feel, and its tall grass felt almost as it had as I ran through the fields myself. I looked back over the ocean and remembered all the lessons Mother Moon had taught me. She would talk about how most of our world's surface, nearly three-quarters, was made up of ocean, enormous bodies of salt water that contained more species of life than we could possibly imagine. And I remembered her saying that the larger world in which we lived contained five total oceans. The Pacific, the largest, the Atlantic, the Indian, the Arctic, and the Southern Ocean near Antarctica. None of these names were found on this map, so I assumed it covered a much smaller area, which was no surprise. Very few fairy maps covered so much. After all, our fairy world was only an itty-bitty piece of the magical puzzle that made up the rest of Earth. As I focused on the liquid moving about on the map, I noticed a small brown object slowly moving across the glistening waves in the sea. That's us, said Magborn, nodding at the little moving object. I stopped relying wholly on the stars for guidance years ago thanks to this. You'd be shocked to know how much pixie it took to make it. 
I'm afraid if the Jolly Leafer ever sank, I'd spend the rest of my days trying to get this back. I looked over the enormous living map in awe. For a second I almost felt myself wanting to jump into it, but I knew better than to try. Staring at it felt like looking down at the world from the clouds. I noticed a small valley amid the Hargoroth mountain range, with words floating above it. "'The Temples of Light!' I shouted. Magborn sighed. "'That's right. As you can see, we still have a ways to go, but we'll get there sooner or later. Every time I discover a new place, I inscribe it with Pixie on the map. Anything labelled with floating words is a place I've ventured. Many I'd rather see blank, to tell you the truth.' After touching the map gently, he turned and walked over to a closet. As he slid it open, I could see rows upon rows of weapons inside. Daggers, swords, throwing knives, bows, staffs, scimitars, several odd twisted shapes I could only assume were also weapons. The collection was diverse and endless. Why can't I just have one of those? I said, pointing to the white rope looped at Magborn's side. Magborn scoffed. Ha! Because there's only one of these, and it took me half my life to enchant it into what it is today. Don't worry, I've got something else in mind for you. Where did I put it? He thumbed through the daggers. As he did, a shimmering blade caught my eye. Tucked away at the far end of the weapons, half hidden, was a glorious sword, one whose blade outshined all the rest. It glimmered in the light spilling through the windows and glowed like something forged in a better world. What about that one? I said, pointing to the sword. Magborn turned back and followed my gaze. Out of the question. That scrub is a priceless relic. Many good men died getting that sword. Come to think of it, I should probably lock it up somewhere safer. Like I said, I've got something else that'll suit you. He turned back to the weak daggers and continued rummaging through them. When his back was turned, I walked over and quietly pulled the sword from the wall. It was even more magnificent up close. The handle was made of a flawless brass, and the crossguard above my hand was made of two pieces of brass molded into the form of fairy wings. The blade, stretching out majestically before me, was a glistening steel I'd never seen, and streaking up the middle of it was a thin line of gold with a green vine inscription winding around it. Squeezing it tight, I held the sword up for a better look. A shock of electricity shot into my hand. The jolt surged through the veins in my wrist, up my arm, and straight into my beating heart. The brass wings on the handle came alive and fluttered in a blur, fanning my hand as they flapped. Another jolt from the handle and the room went dark. So dark that I could see nothing. Not the map, Magborn, nothing. All objects vanished around me in an instant. Have I gone blind? I thought. No, you haven't, came a soft voice. Startled, I asked, Who's there? I tried to wave the sword out in front of me, but I couldn't see it, let alone control it. You have nothing to fear, Willem Wingling of the Daffodil Clan said the voice. With those words, a feeling of calmness and warmth washed over me. My heart slowed and my pants turned to slow breaths. That's better, said the voice. I am Gabriel V. It is an honor and privilege to make your acquaintance. The voice sounded confident and wise, and for reasons I cannot explain, I trusted it without question. For when it spoke, it spoke not with voice, but with thoughts and feelings. 
"'Where are you, Gabriel?' I asked. "'You hold me in your hand.' My heart started to race as I realized the sword I held was speaking to me. Calm yourself, Will. The words again slowed my heart and eased my fear. Tell me of your quest. I seek the temples of light, I said into the darkness. I wish to take my sister Emerald, the new daffodil queen, there to shield and protect her from the dark— so that one day she can take her place and provide the light needed for my clan to survive. This quest is noble, said Gabriel. I wish to be of service to you in your journey. I pledge my loyalty to you and lay all of my wisdom and skill at your feet. Together we will protect your sister and defeat the dark. The sword's words sparked through me with another surge of electricity. I accept your pledge. I said weakly. Light broke through the darkness until the sun blazed through the windows in Magborn's chambers. I was still standing, and I could see Magborn standing in front of me, holding a sword that had crossed blades with another. It wasn't until I was fully awake that I realized that I was the one holding the other blade that crossed against his. I let down my sword. What happened? said Magborn with more curiosity than anger in his red eyes. Did he speak to you? What did he say? I caught my breath and looked down at the sword, its wings now stiff brass. He did, I replied quietly. His name is Gabriel the Fifth. Magborn looked anxious. I came to take it from you, but it stopped me. Did he... did he make a pledge? I nodded and Magborn threw up his hands. Right, I should have known it would pair with you. What do you mean? I asked. The sword you hold in your hand, boy, is a Zaxlin, the most ancient species of weapon in all the land. It's alive, forged with an unbreakable steel and infused with a soul. Millennia ago, entire clans came together to combine the magic needed to create such a weapon in the hottest fires Pixie can conjure. Gabriel has been dormant for many generations, asleep and waiting for a cause noble enough to call him to duty. He said he was Gabriel the Fifth. Fifth generation. He's been reforged with the steel of his forefathers, each time gaining the wisdom and skill of his predecessors. Five generations makes him one of the oldest of his kind. I can't begin to imagine the wealth of knowledge he possesses. I looked at the sword in Magborn's hand. It too appeared to be a Zaxlin. The handle, blade, and wings were a grayish-white and were surrounded by a thin cloud of smoke. Is that a Zaxlin? I asked him. Magborn held up his sword. That it is. This is Smoke. He's a second-generation Zaxlin, still thousands of years old himself. He was a stubborn one to pair with at first, but now I trust him with my life. He looked over his pearly white blade as if it was a close friend. Gabriel has chosen you, and therefore he is yours to keep, he continued. Always listen to its guidance. You are the only one who can hear its voice, so learn how to listen. Let its wings guide your fighting hand. Your life depends on it. If you follow its pull, it will not lead you astray. Oh, and take this. He handed me a little flute. Don't tell me this is alive, too. No, no. Saxlins love music. Play him a tune every night before bed if you want to keep him happy. Trust me, they'll let you know if they aren't. Handling it a bit more carefully, I placed the instrument in my pack.
Once I'd been outfitted with a matching sheath, we went up to the deck to practice. Magborn pulled his sword smoke from his side and held him up. Hold Gabriel tight, he instructed. You'd be surprised how fierce those wings will fly. Don't try to control him yet. Just let him do the work. I unsheathed Gabriel and held him out. His little brass wings started to buzz, and soon Smoke's wings, too, were fluttering. Whish! They flew at each other like fighting hawks, clashing and twisting as they clanged. Holding on for dear life, I was yanked hard in every direction, completely at the mercy of my sword. It was clear the Zaxlins didn't need us. They had all the wisdom of combat they needed. We were merely the hosts to their fight, mere spectators of an event. Although Magborn, in all his experience, stepped gracefully with every strike and block. He spun on cue with his sword's every move. I could tell they were in sync. That Smoke's voice was somehow telling him where it would go and what it would do next. I, on the other hand, flailed around like a helpless fly caught in a web. For hours we sparred in the heat of the day, Magborn occasionally stopping to give me a few pointers, but ultimately saying to let Gabriel do most of the work. Finally, just when I thought my arm would yank out of my sore shoulder, we sheathed our zaxlins and leaned against the railing for a break. The misty ocean breeze was more welcome than ever before. It cooled our faces and lapped against the ship's leaf sail, sending moisture dripping down its veins. Magborn looked over the water. We can't afford to wait for them, he said. The ink eels will take her when our guard is down. Even if she were to survive a bite, the dark will know where she is and stop at nothing to get her. He turned to look at me. We must strike first, Will. But how? You want me to fly over the water and swipe down at them? Light, no. They'll snatch you from behind before you could even strike. They're much smarter than that. They're slippery and trained for a hunt like this. Usually they attack at night to hide their black bodies in the dark. I shrugged. What do you suggest? Magborn looked down towards the cabin where M was still sleeping. I shook my head. No, no way. I'm not about to fish for evil eels using my sister as bait. I'm afraid we have no other choice. I looked towards her cabin. He couldn't be serious. It was the worst idea I'd ever heard. I tried to think of a better plan. What would Ma and Dad do? Surely they wouldn't be so bold as to put their daughter out in the open like that. Ma wouldn't, I could tell you that. But Da, I wasn't so sure. He was always a hard one to predict. Disobeying a direct order from the clan council was a perfect example. Come to think of it, he might have been out of his fairy mind enough to try such a thing. I looked back up at Magborn through a blur of tears. If we fail, I'll never forgive myself, I said. Magborn put his strong arm around me. The light never fails. That night, when all was dark and the fog loomed over the ship, we set our plan in motion. Little M was placed at the foot of the tree mast below the first branch. She cooed and spoke her adorable gibberish as I bundled her up. Don't worry, M. I'll protect you with my life, I told her. Magborn hid behind the barrels on the other side of the deck while I took cover behind a stacked pile of supplies at the opposite end. Watching my poor little sister alone in the dark was excruciating. Mother Moon's light cast shadows that swayed and danced along the deck and made me jump a time or two. Pretty soon, Em's gibberish and happy coos turned to fusses and then to loud cries as she realized she was alone. 
Oh, it pained me to hear it. I wanted more than anything to go scoop her up and rock her in my arms. But then I looked at Magborn behind the barrels and he shook his head. It had to be this way. Em's cries grew louder. My stomach turned as she started to scream. Then, somehow over her cries, I heard a quiet splash, like a tiny wave crashing against the side of the ship. Again I heard it, but this time it came with a bump against the boat. More and more splashes and thumps sounded all around the ship. We were surrounded. Just as Magborn had predicted, Em's cries had summoned the wretched creatures. Another loud splash and the huge ink eels sprang out of the water. Several flopped over the railing and slithered quickly towards M. Magborn jumped out from behind the barrels and whipped his white rope at the first attacker. The rope caught the eel in a tight lasso and then flung the beast overboard. Full of adrenaline, I flew out from the boxes and, holding my blowpipe, reached back over my shoulder for a dart. Slide, click, two! I fired it at an eel lunging for M. The dart sunk deep into its fishy flesh and it dropped with a squeal onto the deck. Magborn whipped his rope in a flash, tossing eels overboard and throttling others into the wood walls of the ship. More eels sprang from the water and charged for M. Pchoo, pchoo! I shot down one of them but missed the other. Luckily, Magborn's rope caught it around the mouth and whipped it out of sight. Shaking with nervous energy, I reached back for another dart. Ow! I shouted. I'd missed my target and brought my hand down on the head of a dart, lightly pricking it just below the thumb. Instantly my hand went numb. I watched as the pipe slipped out of my limp fingers and landed on the deck. Spider toxin crept into my arm, rendering it useless and leaving it dangling lifeless at my side. I panicked. My good hand would be out for the rest of the fight. Feeling overwhelmed by the sudden rush of numbness, I braced myself on the hilt of my sword. As I did so, a surge of electricity shot into me and a voice shouted in my mind. Unsheath me, commanded Gabriel. Release me! As ordered, I pulled the Zaxxon free and looked up just in time to see an ink eel lunge for me. Gabriel's brass wings buzzed and then slash! The sword flung my arm around in a wide arc, slicing the creature and dropping it inches in front of me. Gabriel yanked hard after the remaining eels. Completely in his control, I followed his pull and flew with it. Covering half the deck in one flying jump, we slashed at the eels heading for M. The sword spun, cut, twisted, and even twirled me as we chopped down the slithering serpents. Next to me, Magborn cut away with smoke in one hand and whipped his rope in the other. A trail of smoke followed his sword's every move. Side by side we fought, blocking the eel's charge as they swarmed the deck for the future queen. A sharp sting shot up through my leg. I looked down to see a wounded eel slithering away from me. Magborn lassoed it and sent it flying overboard in a pitiful squeal. That was the last of them. All went silent on deck. No splashes or bumps in the water, no squeals or shrieks. Silence. The ship was littered with fallen eels and splattered with black ink. We had done it. We defeated the Dark's minions. Just as I opened my mouth to celebrate, two giant ink eels sprang out of the water and flew towards M. Gabriel's words filled my mind. Throw me, he shouted. As the two monstrous eels came down towards my sister, I flung Gabriel at them. The shimmering sword spun after them in a blur. Slice, slice! 
Gabriel's wings made him boomerang around the mast, cutting through the creatures and spinning back into my trembling hand. What remained of the eels plopped onto the wet deck. Magborn and I stared at the sword Gabriel in awe. I sheathed him and then ran to M's side. Like a frantic mother, I scooped her up with my one arm and calmed her cries. Shh, shh, I got you, I said, rocking her back and forth. Magborn stood next to me. Bless the light, she's okay, he said, and for the first time he looked at her with caring eyes. She's safe for now, but I'm sure the dark will realize its minions have fallen soon enough. We must get to land as soon as possible. He turned and headed for the ship's wheel. With M in hand, I followed close behind, but as I went to take my first steps, my right leg buckled beneath me. Nearly dropping M, I managed to catch myself with my other leg. A stinging pain shot up through my leg just below my knee. At first, the pain was unbearable, sharp and screamworthy, but soon it faded as I grew more and more tired. Barely able to keep my eyes open, I lay down on the deck and set M down next to me. Magborn rushed to my side. He looked me over in a panic, searching for something. His eyes stopped on my leg. Two black dots marked my calf. Little streaks of black ink trickled down them to my foot. An eel bite. Darkness flooded the edges of my vision. The last thing I could hear before I passed out was Magborn's shouts over my crying sister. Stay with me, Will, he cried. Stay with me! All sound and light dissolved until I fell into a dark, painful sleep. You've been listening to Winglings Under the Willow Tree, a production of the Purple Rocket Podcast. Make sure you check out the read-alongs and accompanying lessons under each episode. And if you have a minute, leave us a review on iTunes. This is your host, Greg Webb, and thank you for listening.